bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, December 22nd, 2020. Yesterday, Congress reached a landmark agreement on several pieces of key legislation that will have significant effects on affordable housing, community development, and renewable energy over the years to come. In light of this breaking news, we're going to spend today's podcast discussing the year-end legislation and what it means for community development tax incentive stakeholders. Now, the topic we previously had planned for today is going to be rescheduled for next Tuesday, December 29th, which means next Tuesday, we're going to do a deep dive with Novogratz partner Rich Larson on public housing authority issues and opportunities, including a discussion of the extended eviction moratorium and the availability of rental assistance. Tune in for that discussion next week. Now, in today's podcast, we're going to break down key provisions of the $1.4 trillion omnibus spending bill for fiscal year 2021 and the $900 billion COVID-19 relief package. Peter Lawrence, Novogratz Director of Public Policy and Government Relations, is back for the podcast to discuss the legislative highlights. Now, Peter was on with us a couple of times in November to talk about the election results and their implications, and he also appeared in the podcast last week to discuss key Biden cabinet nominations. Peter has been closely tracking progress on the spending legislation and the COVID-19 relief bill over the past few months. Now, Peter also wrote an in-depth blog summary for the Notes from Novogratz blog. You'll want to be sure you check it out if you haven't already. Now, there are many provisions to cover in today's podcast. So if you're ready, let's get started. So, Peter, there is much to discuss. Too much to fully cover in today's podcast, but we're going to try. Now, for our listeners, Peter and I are going to be hosting a webinar early next year, Thursday, January 7th, 2021, to be exact, where we're going to go into all of these issues in much greater depth. So please mark your calendars to join us for the webinar on January 7th of next year. Now, for this podcast, I want to break the discussion out into three key sections. First, focusing on the major community development tax provisions included in the overall package. And then second, the major non-tax-related community development provisions included in the COVID-19 relief bill. And then third, some of the key community development and affordable housing provisions in the omnibus spending bill. So uh, let's start with the first, the key community development tax provisions. So Peter, first of all, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Last week, we had you in the podcast and we knew there was a reasonable chance that we'd be having you back this week if Congress was able to get the legislation passed, which they have. Now, the legislation was passed by Congress last night, and it had several provisions that would enhance the federal low-income housing tax credit. Please share with our audience the key changes. Thank you, Mike, and thanks again for inviting me on the podcast. It's exciting to be able to celebrate the legislative victories that we got in this overall package. And certainly with the low-income housing tax credit, the the headline provision is the 4% floor, which is something that the affordable housing community has been advocating ever since it first appeared in legislation in 2005 by legislation sponsored by Representative Jim Ramstead from Minnesota. So this has been a a long-standing, hard-fought provision that is extremely important uh, for affordable rental housing finance and is going to have an immediate impact. And in fact, we did in our blog post, we highlight our estimate over the period in the legislation in 2021 through 2030. We expect an additional 130,000 units could be financed as a result of the 4% floor. And we also have state estimates available on the blog. And I encourage you all to take a look at it. I know there are some out there who are looking at how a 
when that effective, and I'm not going to get into the effective date at this time. Hopefully we can go into more detail over the webinar, but certainly it's a tremendous achievement. We all should celebrate it as uh, really important for a lot of deals. They will now become financially feasible. The other provision that have the same profile, but is still, I think, significant is a disaster allocation of housing credits, which follows on last year's year-end tax bill, which included an allocation where California's 2017 and 2019 wildfires. Uh, this year, now there's a new allocation that would not only go to California, but other 10 other states plus Puerto Rico. And we have our estimates of how many more credits will be available as a result. It's $1.2 billion. And I'll just also note that given the, the how the provision is written, it also authorizes allocations for major disasters that may happen in the 60 days after the date of enactment. So there are major disasters between now and late February that uh, require and qualify for FEMA individual or FEMA individual and public assistance. That could mean there would be that states could get further allocation of disaster credits. So keep an eye out for that. But that's that's obviously going to be you know very helpful. And one other key difference from last year's allocation is that states will have two years, just like they have with the regular authority, to use that they can carry over disaster authority for a year. So that's a uh, something worth mentioning. Lastly, and this is sort of tucked underneath the radar screen even more so, is that Congress allows partnerships that elect out of the interest limitation that was established in the 2017 tax reform law uh, to use 30-year instead of 40-year depreciation. And that really, I think, will apply to the vast majority of affordable housing properties that were placed in service before January 1st, 2018. Obviously, every partnership will have to take a look at it. There are individual circumstances and have made that decision, but it's potentially uh, a lot of uh, properties out there that will be able to enjoy the shorter depreciation life. Great. Thank you for that, Peter. That was a great summary of both the additional resources through the 4% floor and through the disaster loans and capture allocations. And as you noted, we will go into both of those provisions in more detail during the webinar, most notably with respect to the 4% floor, you know, which properties are eligible, not eligible based upon the issuance effective date. And then also you mentioned 30-year alternative depreciation system election, uh, that a lot of existing properties that are that were placed in service before 2018 when they were dealing with the interest defense limitation rules, they ended up agreeing to extend their depreciable life to 40 years from 27 and a half. And now they have the ability to go back and elect a 30-year life, which basically means every syndicator and every developer will need to be assessing how to treat this provision if they have any properties that were placed in service for 2018. And that's uh, about as much as I really want to talk about it here, even though as an accountant, I want to go into more depth, but we'll talk about it in more depth during the webinar, because it is something that virtually every property owner is going to have to assess. And obviously, it doesn't just apply to uh, low-income housing cash, but it also applies to workforce housing and all uh, residential rental housing. So it's an issue that has extended well beyond the low-income housing tax credit. But that wasn't the only uh, community development tax incentive uh, that was extended, increased, or expanded. Uh, can you discuss the new market tax credit and how it was treated under the new bill? Yeah, it's a, and another tremendous achievement is a five-year extension of a new markets uh, credit through end of 2025 at $5 billion a year. So the last time Congress had a long-term extension was in the PATH Act of 2015, which was very important then, but they only uh, Congress only extended at $3.5 billion over those five years. So this is a, yet a further improvement for a long-term extension of the new markets credit. So that's really, I think, a great, a great 
great achievement for community development. I know many of you out there are still wondering, well, when did we make this credit permanent? And certainly will be, I think that a lot of attention will be taking a look at the tax agenda for 2021. And, and that certainly is going to be one item. But having that five-year extension is not only important for practitioners to be able to plan, but it reduces the pressure, I think, on having to constantly focus on an annual an extension. And that will be, I think, enjoyed by many in the industry. Great. Thank you for that, Peter. And then there was one other area that I wanted to discuss. There's lots of tax changes. We can't go into all of them. But the other key area that our listeners follow pretty closely is renewable energy. And there were several renewable energy tax credit and energy efficiency uh, extensions. So if you could give a brief overview of each of those, and we'll obviously go into those in a lot more depth during the webinar in a couple of weeks. I'll starting with the uh, renewable energy production tax credit. Uh, that was given another year extension at 60% of its original amount. So that's uh, through the end of 2021. And that has been an important incentive for renewable energy, but particularly for wind. But the other extension I think is highlighting in renewable energy is the extension of the investment tax credit at 26%, which was the same rate uh, that was able to, for properties that are began construction this year in 2020, that is extended another two years through the end of 2022. And, and then it would step down uh, to 22% as it was originally planned for this upcoming year. That will start uh, in 2023. Uh, and then after 2025, you'll have the uh, 10% permit credit uh, for ITC. Staying uh, on the ITC topic, uh, Congress added waste heat to power property as an uh, eligible technology under the investment tax credit. Uh, and offshore wind uh, was extended, uh, given the longer development time that those types of projects have at 30% through the end of 2025. Moving to energy efficiency, you know, two incentives that are often used in multifamily housing is the Section 179D commercial property deduction. That was made permanent. Congress updated the energy savings that you will be required to meet, and that will be updated on an annual basis. And the square footage rate of the deduction is indexed for inflation going forward. So that is something that folks can no longer have to deal with the stop-start situation and better plan around the ability to use that. For the Section 45L New Energy Efficient Home Credit, which uh, is often used along with uh, the low-income housing tax credit, that is extended, given one-year extension through the end of, of 2021. So that's going to be a part of the somewhat of a, a challenge to going forward to, to have that continue to operate. It's $2,000 a unit. Uh, but uh, I will just note that I think President-elect Biden is going to have a pretty robust climate energy efficiency agenda. So I can imagine it may be uh, taken up in his legislative push next year. Great. Thank you for that, Peter. Certainly the shorter term extension of some of the renewable energy provisions uh, it will be interesting to watch in the sort of coming year to what extent those can continue to be extended when there's a large number of provisions that were extended over five years or uh, made permanent. Uh, I should also note for our listeners, uh, those of you that work with the Opportunity Zones Incentive and or the Historic Tax Credit, that there weren't any direct changes for those two uh, tax incentives included in this legislation. So now, Peter, let's turn to our second of the three major topics that we want to cover, and that's the COVID-19 relief bill and some of the key community development and affordable housing provisions in the bill. There are a lot of dollars uh, provided uh, in the bill for various areas, and this is dollars with a B as in billions. So if you could kind of march through some of the key ones that you think our listeners would be interested in. 
Sure. So one issue we've heard a lot for a while now, ever since the CARES Act relief measures expired, is emergency rental assistance. And Congress did provide $25 billion that is routed through Treasury using uh, the coronavirus relief fund channels uh, that were previously established under the CARES Act. We have some estimates on how much each state is getting. This is a $200 million minimum, and then the rest is uh, driven by population. And we'll also have further details on how to access that emergency rental assistance in a uh, future webinar. Another part of the rental assistance proposals is an extension of the CDC eviction order through January 31st, 2021. That was not entirely predictable. It was uh, many have suggested that with the $25 billion in rental assistance that the eviction order was not needed. But I think it will take a little bit of time for that $25 billion to be distributed and stood up. So I think part of the argument was to say that there should be some uh, protection while those monies are distributed. Moving more broadly across the economy on COVID-19 relief, there is a second round of stimulus checks for similar income qualified taxpayers that received the first allocation in the CARES Act. The one sort of difference, I guess, worth pointing out is that instead of $500 per qualifying child, that was increased to $600. So that's, I think, going to be helpful for many uh, low-income renters. Similarly, there is an increase of enhanced unemployment insurance benefits starting after December 26th and ending on March 14th, $300 per week, which is less than the $600 per week that was established under the CARES Act. But that, of course, enhanced benefits that expired some time ago. So I think uh, it's given that the unemployment ranks have been starting to tick up a little bit with the uncertain economic recovery that will come very much in handy uh, for those who are uh, claiming un- unemployment insurance. Uh, and then looking at small business assistance, Congress provided $325 billion. The lion's share of that, $284 billion, is for an extension of paycheck payment program loans, uh, allowing a second round for those businesses that received the first round and expanded eligibility and extension of the overall program through March 31st. And one key issue is Congress sort of reversed IRS decision to not allow expenses that were funded via PPP loans to be deductible. So they now with this legislation are, are, are deductible. And the last thing I'll note on for under PPP is that 15 billion of the uh, PPP amount is dedicated uh, for lending through CDFIs and minority depository uh, institutions. So that was a a key priority for for many in the community development industry. So moving on, uh, there in addition to this paycheck protection channel for CDFIs and and MDIs, Congress also provided a separate allocation of $12 billion uh, for for targeted uh, emergency investments. Uh, And $9 billion of that are emergency capital investments from Treasury directly into CDFIs and MDIs to support lending, uh, especially uh, for persistently poor counties. And those are counties that have had at least 20% poverty rates for an extended period of time and have, you know, still are are, are most hardest hit given uh, the economic impact of COVID-19. And $3 billion of that $12 billion is for emergency support through the CFI fund. So I know that many CFIs out there are wondering, you know, how soon can I apply for these resources through the CFI fund? There is a very short time period that Congress set up. So it's going to be a challenge for the CFI fund to set up the, the rules for application and to get that money out. And that, I think, uh, Mike, we're, we're going to have a, a webinar to discuss those details later. 
Great, thank you, Peter. Uh, it was great to see the 25 billion in emergency rental assistance finally uh, get enacted. And as you noted, we will have a webinar coming up in January that explains how the money will get distributed among the states and local governments, as well as uh, how to go about applying for those funds, some of the different approaches, as well as what amounts are eligible, uh, what amounts can be uh, applied for in terms of covering through the rental assistance. And then we'll also do a separate webinar on the 12 billion uh, that is available for community development financial institutions and minority depository institutions. We'll talk more about those in a moment. But let's, Peter, go into our third area. There's so much great news, so much to discuss uh, in these bills. But let's move on to the omnibus funding bill. And this is the bill that actually provides funding for the federal government through September 30th of 2021. And I figured I'd start, Peter, if you could just share some of the highlights for the funding for the Department of Housing and Urban Development. We'll go into this in a bit more detail during our actual conference, Fort Housing Conference, later in January. But if you could share some of the HUD highlights, that would be great. Sure. So Congress did provide overall gross appropriations funding program. All the various HUD programs is uh, about $60.4 billion. And so that, that's roughly uh, just under 7% increase from uh, last year. And that funding level was made possible, I think, in large part, given how FHA and Ginnie Mae had increased receipts from last year, and that enabled the appropriators to allocate more funding for HUD and make sure that programs were able to have more funding. And uh, I won't go through all of the, the program funding levels. We do have a, a blog post up where you can look at that those details, but I guess I'll just note, you know, that uh, tenant-based rental assistance account, which funds vouchers, got uh, a roughly 7% increase. Project-based rural assistance also got a similar 7% increase. Uh, home stays the same as it was last year, and CDBG gets a modest increase. And I think you know, one other sort of I'll make on the appropriation side is that you know, next year will be the first year that the Budget Control Act spending caps that were originally established back in 2011 will no longer be in operation. And so that will provide a little bit more flexibility for the president-elect Biden to have more appropriations. But of course, there's still things like the debt ceiling that, and I think concern, given all the resources Congress spent this year for COVID relief, I think I, I can imagine that uh, there'll be a greater concern about the budget situation next year. On the CDFI fund, you know, given all the, we talked about these big pots of money that were established through COVID-19 relief, the, the sort of regular appropriations for the CFI fund are, you know, get a, a slight increase from last year's 270 million for the CFI fund and $500 million limitation for the CFI bond guarantee program, which is similar in previous years. Uh, so not a huge sort of uh, increase on the regular uh, appropriation side, uh, but they'll have plenty of money to get out the door given the COVID-19 relief funds. And that will keep them very busy. Great, thank you for that great summary, Peter. And I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast again. <laughs> you do get next week uh, off from the podcast. <laughs> I wasn't sure if there were any last minute uh, comments you wanted to make. No, I just, I, I do think this is, you know, really the whole process that this bill took was up and down over several months. And, you know, it, it was touch and go whether we're, we're going to get uh, a lot of this. We could have been, we might have been in a situation where we had a, a continuing resolution into next year with none of these relief funding. So I think that's for those who are hoping for more, I, I think you know, it's always important context that we need to keep in mind. And I imagine that uh, uh, President like Biden will have, uh, will be calling for, for more COVID-19 relief early next year uh, as we continue to sort of fight out from the uh, economic fallout of, of COVID-19. 
Great. Thank you for that, Peter. And thank you again for joining us on the podcast, highlighting the areas that most directly affect our listeners, uh, their clients, and the tax incentive community as a whole. Uh, and then to our listeners, I do encourage you to read Peter's notes from the Overguide blog post summary. It has a lot more details that we weren't able to cover here uh, in the podcast today. Just go to www.novaco.com blog. And if you have specific questions, please reach out to your Novogratic partner, or you can email cpas at novico.com. And as noted earlier, I also encourage you to join us for our upcoming webinar on the major tax provisions of the year in legislation. It's going to be held on Thursday, January 7th, 2021. And we're going to go into each of the key provisions in much more detail and answer many of the questions that I know many of you have and that you're sharing with me on Twitter and the like. Uh, as we'll know a little bit more uh, early next year as we're grading our own list of questions and implementation issues. And also, as Peter referenced, there are, gonna be, there are two other webinars that we're planning. One's going to be on the $25 billion with a B in emergency rental assistance. We're going to discuss how the $25 billion will be distributed across the country and how rental property owners and tenants will be able to access the funding, as well as calculating the amount uh, any given resident would be eligible for. We're also scheduling a webinar on the $12 billion that's been set aside for Community Development Financial Institutions, or CDFIs, and Minority Depository Institutions, or MDIs. This money is going to be used for targeted emergency investments to help low-income and minority communities withstand the economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and respond to this unprecedented economic downturn. And then during this third webinar, we're also going to review how the money is going to be allocated and distributed among CDFIs and MDIs and discuss how such entities can apply for funding. I'll post details and the dates of the other two webinars on Twitter. So just follow me on Twitter. My handle is, as you likely know, at Novogratic. And then just a reminder, next week is going to be our last podcast episode of the year. And as I mentioned, I'll talk with my partner, Rich Larson, about public housing authorities, rental assistance, HUD's Rental Assistance Administration Program, or RAD, and much more. If you work in public housing or if you work in affordable housing in general, you'll want to tune in for this conversation. And Rich, by the way, is the conference chairman of the Novogratic 2021 RAD Public Housing Virtual Conference. That's coming up next month on January 14th and 15th. Once again, if you work for a public housing authority, developer, investor, syndicator, or other affordable housing practitioner, you want to make sure that you don't miss our once a year RAD Public Housing event. I'll include a registration link in today's show notes, which are available at www.novoco.com podcast. Well, that's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratic. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratic and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratic and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.